Today we will be um, looking at the goodness of God. And in the last few um, weeks, we, you know, uh, starting this, you know, at the beginning of this year, we started with uh, the core values. So let's do a quick uh, recap. Uh, does anyone remember what is a core value? So core values are, are linked to our beliefs. So some, we, we have certain beliefs in our, uh, in our lives, right? So, the, the, so these beliefs, they, 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 uh, when we, our actions are dependent on our beliefs. Like the, the way we, what we believe in comes out in the form of actions. And sometimes when we respond to a particular uh, you know, circumstances or situation, uh, generally our beliefs are driving a response. Right, so so we looked at Jesus is central of uh, is is center of everything last month, and this month we'll start with a core value, very very important core value known as God is good. Okay, so it's uh, so we'll be talking about the goodness of God for the next five weeks. So we'll have different speakers coming in and talking about the goodness of God. Now, in my opinion, uh, goodness of God is the is 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 the most fundamental core value because it affects how you how we pray it 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 really influences how we react to a particular situation it it uh, it influences how we interact with people it 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 influences the faith and the trust that we have the the, the outlook that we have in, in our life so it, it is it is really important to pay attention to to this particular core value okay so i'll i'll, I'll start with the story and um, uh, so few few years back, uh, you know, one of our church uh, friends was not keeping well, and um, and the best part of uh, Lifehouse Mississauga is that when 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 someone is not keeping well, there is a lot there are a lot of people around that person uh, visiting and praying. So I had gone there to 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 pray for this uh, person and be with this person, and. When I reached that place, I, I could see a lot of people were already there. So, um, so I was uh, there with this first group of people, and they were praying uh, for discernment. Uh, and, and, uh, and their prayer was that, uh, God, everything happens because of your will, um, and, and so please give us discernment in this season for this person. Okay, so that was the kind of prayer. So I was with this group for some time, and then, then they, they left, and then I was, I, I, was, I, I was there still. And then the second group of people came. And, and they were praying. Uh, their prayer was slightly different. They were, um, they were praying for healing in the name of Jesus. They were they're declaring healing on this person in the name of Jesus. And, and sometimes you know how it works, right? I mean, um, they usually ask you to test it out. They pray, then they say, can you test now? Can you check? Is it okay? Is it better? Then again, they pray. So, so they were doing, it, doing this multiple times. And, and, and I, I went back home thinking, hey, there is a difference in, in, um, in, in the behavior or the actions of these two groups. They're praying differently. What could be the reason? And one of the main reasons is uh, the, the belief, how they believed in the goodness of God. I think that was the key difference in the way they prayed. And that's what we're going to look at today. Okay, so how we look at God and how we look at his goodness actually determines how we respond to certain situations, how we pray for certain things. Okay, so, 
So we will um, uh, we will start with uh, uh, if you if you have a uh, if you have a Bible, feel free to uh, use it. If you have a phone, I generally use Bible Gateway or the U version Bible.com. Um, so we'll go through some scripture. Now let me ask you a question. If I if uh, if someone asks you, or maybe if if I ask you, um, what's your favorite Bible verse? I mean, or what is the most quoted Bible verse? I mean, what would be your answer? John 3.16, yeah, that's my favorite as well. Uh, I think most of us know it by heart. Any other verse that comes to mind? I think John 3.16 beats uh, every other verse, I believe. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's, uh, it's the most quoted verse in the Bible. Now, um, if you look at the Bible, Bible has got 66 books, okay? So written over 2,000 years by multiple different authors. Some have written many different books in the Bible itself. And, uh, and uh, we see this pattern in the Bible where, where some authors have, have gone back and they've, they've quoted some of the, the, the verses that were written earlier by other authors. You see this most commonly in the New Testament. Right? When you go to the New Testament, uh, you'll see Paul writing, looking back into the Old Testament and saying, hey, in this particular uh, in, in scripture, this was how it was written. Right? So there is, they, they cross-reference each other. And there is one particular verse in the Bible which is cross-referenced at least 24 times in the Old Testament and few times in the New Testament. So we'll look at that particular uh, verse in the Bible. Okay, but uh, before we do that, do that. Let's look at the core value for today, the core, uh, the principle for today. Uh, the principle for today reads something like this. Okay, so it is, it is one of the principles of uh, the core value, God is good. God describes himself as gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. God is good and by nature is in a good mood. Okay, so, so and, and this is really important. So we'll, we'll look at it in a bit. So, so the, the verse that we'll be looking at is Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. Okay, Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. Uh, before we read that particular scripture, let me give you some context. Before Exodus, the book of Exodus comes Genesis. Right, that's where, uh, the, that's the first book of the Bible. So in Genesis... Um, you have, um, um, you know, uh, there is this in Genesis 12, you see God calling a man called Abraham, right? Uh, and he gives him a promise. And this promise is, is like, it has, it has, the, this promise has two parts to it. The first part of the promise, uh, it, it, is, uh, it talks about, uh, uh, you know, it talks about God bringing blessing on nations through the family of Abraham. So that there will be descendants of Abraham, and at that point in time, Abraham has no kids. He's, 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 he has no children. But, but God says that you will have so many descendants that these descendants will be a blessing to many nations. That's the first part of the promise. The second part of the promise is that I will give you a land, and, and we call that land as a promised land whenever we, we talk about Abraham, that there was a promised land that God says, I'll give you this land, and this land will be uh, a land that your descendants will have. Okay, so there, it's, it's a two-part promise. Now, 
Abraham is 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 without kids, and 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 you know he goes through a faith journey. Uh, we have the story in Genesis, but then he has his, he has a son by name Isaac, and then Isaac has Jacob, and so his family keeps on growing, and finally, uh, um, uh, you know Abraham's family lands itself in 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 um, in Genesis, and the Genesis the book of Genesis ends there that the whole family of Abraham uh, is in is in Egypt, and that's where Genesis ends, and now we get into the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is a, is a, is a very interesting book. Uh, the book of Exodus has two movements, okay? So when we read a book in the Old Testament, there are something known as movements. It's like a, a, f- a, a camera frame and, and, you know, a part of the story and, and you know, how, how, the, how the story goes, is, uh, that is referred to as a movement. So, for example, in Exodus, from Exodus 1 to 19, is a story of how God pulled his people from slavery out of Egypt. He he pulled out people of Israel from Egypt. So that's Exodus 1 to 19. And then from Exodus 19 to 40, the, it's, 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 even though it, is, it, it has more number of uh, chapters, but it is talking about just one year of Israel's uh, journey. And that year, and in that one year, Israel was at the feet of, uh, at, at, the, at, the, at the foot of mountain Sinai, and they were actually having some conversations with God. So we'll look at the second part of Exodus. Okay, the first part is something that we'll not look at today, but we'll look at the second part of Exodus. That is from Exodus 19 to 40. You guys are with me? Okay, so um, in, in, in this Exodus uh, from 19 to 40, the different things that God is doing. One, uh, God is actually creating an agreement or he's, he's, he's discussing about an agreement with his people. So there is 10 commandments we are all know. So that God actually when, um, when Moses goes up the mountain, there are terms of, agreement, uh, of partnership that God is discussing with him and God hands over 10 commandments to, to Moses. Moses comes back and, and, and then you have God talking about a blueprint. So God wants to be with his people. Right? So God is a God who wants to be with his people. So, so, um, so he, he's talking about a place called Tabernacle and how this Tabernacle is being created. How should be, how the, what should be the blueprint of Tabernacle? How the Tabernacle should be built is what God is discussing with Moses. But while he's doing all of this, uh, at the foot of the mountain, this is between uh, chapters 32 and 34, the people of Israel are waiting for Moses. And these 40 days, 40 nights, Moses doesn't come back. So they create a, 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 an, a, an idol made of gold. It's a calf that they make, and they start worshiping this calf. Then God gets very angry with, uh, with, uh, with uh, Israel because Israel has just broken the first two commandments that they signed up for, that they will have no other God. And, and so they are now made a, 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 an idol of calf, and they're worshiping this, uh, this calf. And so God gets really upset, and he wants to wipe these, these people of Israel out of uh, this earth. And, and, and that's when Moses intercedes and starts praying uh, to God about, about uh, forgiveness and other things. Right? And in this context, or in this setup, is where you'll hear Exodus chapter 34, uh, verses 6 and 7. Now, God had done so many things for the people of Israel, but this was the first time in the Bible that God talks about his character. And this is the first time ever in the Bible that you have um, a description of God's character. So let's read uh, Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. I think it's, it's, an important to know, it's very important to know the context because it will show the intensity of, of this particular scripture. Okay, you guys are with me? 
Okay, so let's read uh, Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. <coughs> so, um, okay, I'll read it in the New Living Translation, and then we'll, we'll take turns and read it um, as we go along. So it says, Yahweh the Lord. So this is God speaking. Okay, uh, the, the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and the fourth generations. So it's a, it's a pretty intense verse. Right, it's a uh, so f verse six and seven. They they talk about certain characters of God. So let's start from verse six. It says that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is a God of compassion. That's the first character of uh, of uh, of uh, Yahweh. He's a God of compassion. He's a God of mercy. He's a God who's slow to anger. He's a God filled with unfailing love and is a God who is faithful. So these are the five characters of God. Now, the, the next verse, uh, it talks about uh, something where, which we don't like in, in the North American culture. Like we want to always hear the good part and just uh, ignore the bad part or, or you know, the, the, the harsh part. But here God is saying that I am I'm a God who gives choice. You can choose not to be with me. You can choose to live your life the way you want to live your life. And that's where uh, he says, it, 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 when you look at verse 7, God is actually talking about his character of being a just God. So what does he say in verse 7? I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. So if you follow me, then for a thousand generations, I love, lavish love. But, um, and then, then it says, I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty I lay the sins of the parents upon the children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and the fourth generations. So, so here God is saying that I'm a just God. I am uh, justice is in my, in my character. So if, if, if you can't take my, my unfailing love, my slow to anger, compassion, mercy, and faithfulness for granted, if you choose to go your path, then, then there, there will be uh, you know, uh, justice that will that will be done, and and here the generations you talk about um, is is something that we need to really read in context, right? Because as a parent, what I've seen is that when I follow Christ, my kids follow Christ, when my parents followed Christ, I followed Christ, my grandfather followed Christ, and 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 my parents followed Christ. So there is a generational impact that takes place. But imagine if I don't follow Christ. My kids won't follow Christ because they have not seen me um, uh, follow follow Christ. They might have an encounter with God outside later, but 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 most likely they won't follow Christ. And that's what the 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 you know God is talking about here. That that is, if you don't follow me, that's fine. But there will be an impact for generations, right? So so whatever decisions we make when when about following Christ, it has a generational impact. It's really important, right? My and this is from my own from my own experience because my grandfather 
accepted Christ when his dad was a Hindu. But, and because he accepted Christ, today our family, like almost 200, 250 of us, we all follow Christ. So there's a generational impact that we have when we, when we follow Jesus, when we follow God. Okay, so, so, so this is the, the scripture. This is about uh, talking about the, the character of God. Now, this particular scripture keeps on getting um, referenced again and again in the Old Testament. So let's, let's uh, choose someone else to read. And then we'll, uh, so we'll go to the next uh, stop where this particular uh, scripture is being used. Okay, so we'll go to Numbers 14. Numbers 14. Now let me, uh, 17 and 18. Okay. So I'll give a brief context on Numbers 14. So Moses is at the, at the entrance of the promised land and, and, and he sends 12 spies. We know this story, right? The 10 spies, they come back with a bad report. The two spies, that is Joshua and Caleb, they come back with a good report. But, but the people of Israel, they choose to go with the majority. And they are so upset about, get, uh, about moving into the promised land because they don't trust God that they want to actually choose a new leader. Um, they want to just take out Moses and they want to choose a new leader. And they actually want to go back to Egypt into slavery. So, so at that point in time... The, again, God is upset because he, he looks at, because God has done so much for them, and now he looks at the, their lack of trust and he's upset. At that time, Moses goes back to God, and he cross-references the same sentences that God actually spoke to him about his character. So let's read um, Numbers 14, 17, and 18. Moses actually goes back to God, and he. He, he, he actually, while, while praying to God, or while talking to God, he, 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 he references this particular scripture of Exodus 34. And, and, and if you read it from the same uh, version that I was reading earlier, it, it reads something like, like this. Please, Lord, prove that your power is as great as you have claimed. For you said, the Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. But he does not excuse the guilty. He lays the sins of the parents upon the children. The entire family is affected, even children in the fourth, third and the fourth generations. Now we'll, do, we'll look at a couple more, okay, before, before we summarize the, the, the points that we're talking about. Let's look at Deuteronomy 5, verses 9 and 10. Deuteronomy 5, verses 9 and 10. Um, Again, I'll let me give you a bit of a context. So now, uh, a generation of people uh, have, have gone. Okay, so um, the, for 40 years, the Israelites wander in the desert. So the generation of people have gone. Now, there is a new generation at the door, at the, at, the, at the entrance of this promised land. And Moses is now speaking to this new generation. And in this particular scripture, Moses is actually summarizing the Ten Commandments again for them. Okay, so, so Deuteronomy 5, 9, and 10. So, so here, actually, Moses switches this uh, verse a bit. He, makes, he first quotes verse 7, Exodus chapter 34, verse 7, and then chap, uh, verse 6. But in my version, it reads something like this, okay? You must not bow down to them 
or worship them. So he's talking about the first commandment or the second commandment. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon the children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me. But I lavish, this is important, I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generation for those who love me and obey my commandment. Again, again, you see that there's a character of God uh, being cross-referenced in this particular scripture. Okay, so, so you can actually find this almost 24 times in the Old Testament. We look at one of the prophets who, who actually used the same scripture, very popular prophet, and, and, you should, uh, and we all know him. His name is Jonah, right? Jonah uh, chapter 4, verse 2. Again, Jonah was asked to go to a place called Nineveh, right? It was a, it was a Assyrian city. The Assyrians were like barbarian people, okay? So they used to kill people through very innovative techniques. So they, they, they were very ruthless. So people of, uh, of that time, other countries, they used to hate Assyrians. So they never liked Assyrians. So, so when God asked uh, Jonah to go to Nineveh, he actually goes in the opposite direction to, to a place called Tarshish. And that's because he doesn't want to want Azarians to be saved because he knows God is merciful. Right? So, so if you, let's read the, uh, Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. And it's, it's beautiful because he's now complaining back to God saying, I knew this is what it was going to happen because he already knew that God is a God of compassion, is a God of mercy. So let's read um, Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. Okay? So I'll read it again from my New Living Translation. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. So again, these four characters of God, that is, that is merciful, compassionate, slow to angry, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. So again, uh, Jonah brings it back. You can see this in Joel. You can see this in Nahum. So you can see it in different uh, prophetic books, the same scripture being cross-referenced. And you can also find it in New Testament when John, the, the gospel writer, he uses it in John chapter 4, or John chapter 1, verse 14. So let, let I don't have it here, but I'll just open it up in John chapter 1, verse 14. Okay, it says, so the word became human and made his home among us. We have, we, we, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. Again, you, you go back, there is a cross reference to, to that particular scripture where, where he's, uh, you know, John is talking about God's unfailing love and and faithfulness. So the point I'm trying to make is this, that the whole of Old Testament is consistent. Because when we, when as Christians, when we read about, about, about God, about Old Testament in God, uh, the, about Old Testament and about God, we always see some kind of an angry God in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. But the Old Testament is consistent in, 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 in communicating that our God is merciful, our God is compassionate. Our God has, you know, he's a God of unfailing love. He's a God who is slow to anger. And he's a God who is faithful, consistent, and he's a God of justice. 
And so, so that's the that's the that's the the consistency that is there throughout the Old Testament. Now, you might ask this question: How then that we have this wrong understanding about God being an angry God, or God doing not being an angry God, but God doing evil things in people's life? Like, for example, God, people attribute God bringing sickness, for example, or suffering, or, or you know, some hardships in, in people's life. And, and, and how did this, this understanding that has come into church? And why, why do people pray, about, pray for discernment? So there are two things, two reasons for it. One is the, the, the cultural reasons, right? Um, especially in this culture that we live in, people don't like to hear anything uh, that is challenging. They want to hear always good things. And, and I think that's one, one, one major aspect. Our, our, our parents' generation was, was more receptive to some of these, uh, some of the corrections and some of the, the things which are not so good. But this generation wants to hear always something very good about everything, right? So, so that's one. But, but I think the focus that we'll, today we'll focus on some historical reasons why our understanding has, since Bible is so consistent, the Old Testament and the New Testament is so consistent about the goodness of God, why do we attribute evil today in church? And what, is, what are the reasons for it? Okay, so, um, so for that, we need to go back to history. Has, is, is, um, is anyone here a student of history? Has, has, has anyone here studied history formally? Okay, so I, I've not studied history formally, so, but I, I love history. Okay, so history actually gives us a lot of things, um, and, um, and it is helpful in explaining a lot of different things. So, so let's look at the early church history. Okay, so early church history. So it was illegal to follow Christ in the first 300 years of, the Christian, of, of, of Christianity. Like after, after Jesus uh, died and was resurrected, uh, from then on till at least 313 AD, it was, it was illegal to follow Christ. People were crucified for following Christ. It was, it was, it was dangerous to follow Christ. People were, were taken and they were, um, you know, they, were, they were actually lit up as torches. Like they used to uh, tie them to a pole and, and they used to torch them and, and they used to leave them to burn. Uh, and and that, that was how the Christians were treated. And, and, and because of that, because, you know, only people who really had a revelation of who Jesus was followed Christ. You know, and so the, the scripture was, it was maintained in its purest form during that period. However, during that time, the, the number of Christians, they actually increased in number. And there are a lot of studies that, are, that have shown that, that, that almost the entire Roman, Roman Empire, um, a majority of them in the Roman Empire, had come to know about Christ even though there was a lot of persecution. So a lot of these, uh, when you go in, when, you, when you're uh, driving your car, you might see that some cars have this fish sign at the back, a fish symbol. See, some of these symbols come from that time. And people actually uh, used to use a lot of symbols to communicate with each other about, and, and they used to, to, to recognize each other as Christians. Okay, they used to use a lot of these symbols. Then something important happened in 300, uh, 313 AD. Emperor Constantinople, he, he, he made uh, following Christ as legal. Okay, he made following Christ as legal. And then, a few years later, a few dec decades later, that is in 380 AD, 
um, there was another emperor. His name is Emperor Theodosius. So he he made Christianity as the official religion of the Roman Empire. So now a lot of these people, a lot of these people who had not even heard of Christ, they they came into the church because now it was the cool thing to do. That you were, you, it, in order to be in the new, you had to follow Christ. So they all came into the church. And that's from, from there, you get this term called nominal Christians. Christians who are call themselves as Christians, but they don't know who Christ is. So, so the, that's where it all started. And, and then in 474 AD, so a lot of dates, 313, 380, and then 474, something very, very important happened. Do you know what happened during that time, at, on, in, in that year? the Western Roman Empire fell. It was a fall of the Western Roman Empire. The Goths, who were the, the Germanic people, the Germanic tribes, they came over and took the Western Roman Empire. So by that time, by 380, the Roman Empire was a huge, huge empire. It was very hard to govern this empire. So um, the emperor of that time, Constantinople, he, he divided um, Rome, Rome into two parts. One was the Eastern Empire and the Western Empire. The Western Empire, was on its decline already, and 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 it it uh, it almost collapsed after the after this division. Okay, so and so the the Goths came and took over Western Roman Empire in 474 AD. So um, again, this is important because um, um, uh, you know the, uh, because the fall of this Western Roman Empire, people the historians call it as the beginning of the Dark Ages. It's called as the beginning of the Dark Ages. And why do they call it as a Dark Age? Because in, in the Dark Age, there was a lot of fighting going on. There were a lot of small kingdoms around, and you know, a lot of uh, soldiers, a lot of people working for the armies, and they were killing each other. Because they were killing each other, there was a lot of famine, there was a lot of death, there was disease. So there was a lot of these things happening. So, so a lot of uh, people were losing their lives. right? So, so it was, that's why it's known as a Dark Age. Now, um, now the church had also become very powerful because now the all the the government the government is behind the church. So the the church is now um, kind of uh, is is a parallel government to the actual government, right? So it's very powerful. So the church had to come with some kind of reasoning to tell people, uh, do, uh, you know, why this is happening. They had to explain something to people about their life and the the deteriorating life condition. So till now, the church always believed in something known as a warfare um, uh, worldview. Okay, so warfare worldview. So, so look at Ephesians chapter six, or you look at Corinthians or Colossians. You will see that always Christians believed that evil was caused by Satan. That all sickness, all disease, uh, you know, uh, bondage, everything is coming from Satan, and this Satan uh, uh, is at war with uh, with Christ and His church. You can see that consistently in the New Testament, and so 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 we are now looking at um, uh, this. Uh, now um, now, um, now uh, the church is now believing in this warfare, um, you know, like uh, I would say worldview. But during this time, during these dark ages, there was this uh, this um, bishop by name Augustine. He was he's known as the Bishop of Augustine, Bishop Augustine of Hippo. Hippo is a place in Algeria. Today is Algeria. Okay, so he came up with some explanation, and he, he, he termed something known as a blueprint worldview. So in blueprint worldview, everything that happens in a person's life is predetermined by the divine will of God. So the church started promoting this particular idea called the blueprint worldview. 
where everything that happens in a person's life is predetermined by the divine will of God. And now, when people started praying for, now when we pray for the sick, what do we do? We use authority that we get from Jesus Christ, right? When we, so when the believers, what we need to do is we need to follow Matthew 28, which is a great commission where all authority has, in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus Christ. And he has given that authority to us so that we can go and make disciples of all nations. While we make disciples of all nations, we uh, raise the dead, right? Heal the sick, drive out demons, and cleanse the leper. So that's the that's the commission that we have got. But now, when this blueprint uh, worldview became popular, praying for the sick was considered as resisting God's will. Praying for uh, people with bondages, it was considered as resisting God's will. So, so the the way people started praying actually changed. Instead of praying, people praying for uh, healing, they started praying for discernment. And this particular thought or this particular idea has been in church ever since, ever since. So that's because the, and, and, and so a lot of people attribute a lot of evil things to God, which God is not responsible for. They think that God is bringing sickness, God is bringing disaster, God is bringing, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, a lot of different bad things in people's life just because he wants to teach them a lesson, which is, which is not true, which is not biblical. In fact, God does not need to bring any kind of hardship on, on a person's life to bring a change in his life or in his or her life. For example, God, there is no need for God to, to bring some hardship or some disease in a person's life to bring about a change in that person's life. There is no need for God. Now let's look at John chapter 15 and we'll close with this, okay? This is a, this is a very, very important verse. John chapter 15 verses 1 through 3, right? 1, 2, 3, sorry. Um, as Christians, we always have pruning. We always get pruned because that's how we grow, right? So it, it, pruning is not something alien to Christian faith. When we become Christians, life is not always hunky-dory. We always go through pruning. But how does God prune? A God who created his, 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 this whole entire universe with his, with his words, he does not need disease or sickness or hardship or suffering to bring about change. We just need God's word. And God's word can bring change in our life. Okay, so let's look at John chapter uh, 15, verses 1, 2, 3. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. The reason being Amplified, sometimes Amplified Version gives you a, a more, it's more explanatory. So, so let's, let's read from Amplified Version. I am the true wine, and my father is the wine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that continues to bear fruit, he, repeat, he repeatedly prunes so that it will bear more fruit, even richer and finer fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have given you, the teachings which I have discussed with you. See, God gives his word when he needs to prune. When there is pruning, that pruning happens through God's word. And, 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 and God does not need to bring any hardship on any of us to bring about a change in our life. So that's, that's very important. And, and when we have that understanding, you will see that we will, we will 
start interacting with people, we will start looking at life differently, and we will have that confidence that I have a backing of a good God, a God, I can trust a God I, um, uh, who, who, has, uh, who, who is for me, who's, after, who's, who's faithful, he's, who's merciful, who's compassionate. I don't have to now worry, because imagine, um, uh, like, um, you, know, some, you know, we have sons and daughters, right? Imagine there's a father, and he breaks his son's arm just because he wants to teach him a lesson. The son will never trust the father. And that's what is happening in, in the church today, that we don't trust God because we attribute a lot of evil to him, which he's not responsible for. And, 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 and again, as we, as we grow, as in relationship with God, there will be trials, there will be testing. We all work in the knowledge industry. When we take a test, the test is an opportunity. That's why James, in, in, in the book of James, James says this, that be glad, rejoice when you're tested. Why? Because when we, when we are tested, there is an opportunity that there's a choice to make, and that choice will lead to an opportunity. But, but, but testing is different, trials are different, and attributing evil to God is different. And I think that's what we need to deal with today. That is, if we have a wrong understanding about, about who God is, and then I think we need to go back to Scripture. And we need to look through the Scripture and, and get the correct understanding of the character of God. Because God is good. God is good. He is merciful. He is faithful. He, he is compassionate. He is slow to anger. And he is and he, just. And, he, and, he's, uh, and his love is unfail, unfailing.